As we come now to the scripture, I want to ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Father, again, we come to your word, and um, it's called the sword of the Spirit. And so we know that it can be used to defend off the evil one and to penetrate into his uh, domain of darkness. For this word brings light and power, truth, grace. So we pray it would do all that for us this morning as we, as we read it, listen to it, appropriate it, think about it, apply it. That you would enable us to live as you call us to live as imitators of God, as light, children of light. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn again, please, to Ephesians in chapter 6. Ephesians in chapter 6, please. I want to read verses um, 10 through 20. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then together we say the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now it's clear, isn't it? from this passage that I just read, that there's a battle going on and it's a spiritual one. Do you remember we opened Ephesians by learning that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on through those opening chapters to delineate those blessings. And also then in chapter 4 to pick up on because of those blessings, how then are we to live? And the life that he calls us to live, this life of righteousness and holiness, the life that he calls us to live is a blessed life. This is the life that God intends for us to live. It's the blessed life. It's the good life, if you will. And so we, we have all of that. And now he comes to tell us that we have an enemy. And it's a spiritual enemy. He calls him the devil. And we have read about him. If you've been reading through the scripture, if you're a Bible reader, you know this evil one, the devil. And uh, the spiritual army, that's his. And so Paul's saying, listen, this is who you are. This is the life. Therefore, you're called to live. But realize there's opposition, spiritual opposition. Now, the backstory to that is what I read from, from Revelation chapter 12 this morning. Uh, I, I know sometimes we pick up uh, the book of Revelation and, and it's uh, 
difficult and all of that. And, and um, it's scary, which is a good thing. It's meant to be scary in parts. Uh, we're to read very often Revelation like a child would read it. That is, get scared in the, in the scary parts and, and feel triumphant in the triumphant parts. And if you get that, then you've gotten most of it just in all of that. The, the imagery can be a little bit uh, difficult sometimes to wade through. But, but really, if we, if, we, if, we, if we look at it it, 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 it seems to make good sense to us. Here in, in chapter 12, this backstory, this spiritual battle, uh, there's a woman that appears. And, and we think first of Mary. And that's all right, because out of this woman will come the Messiah. But even as a precursor to Mary, we realize that this Messiah, this child that was going to be born, was promised uh, to Israel. And so we see this out of, out of Israel, out of the people, out of the seed of Abraham will come uh, this, this woman. And, and so uh, come this child. And so we see that, that uh, crowned with the 12 stars, perhaps the 12 tribes, even 12 apostles, as we think the New Testament people of God. But, but she was pregnant, crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So, so we get that picture. There's this one who is to come, this Messiah that's going to come, and this deliverer is going to come. And then there's this red dragon. He's identified in verse 9, just in case you don't get him, as Satan, uh, the evil one, the accuser, if you will. And, he, and, he, and this dragon comes, and he's powerful and wise and, and scheming, and all of that has authority, has seven heads, wisdom, ten horns, power, seven diadems, seven crowns. So a measure of authority there we see in this evil one who comes. He's powerful enough to, to sweep down the, a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. And, and, and we get there's this, 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 this tension, this hostility between the dragon and the woman who's about to give birth because the dragon wants to devour the child. Uh, we, we're not surprised by this conflict. It, we see it in Genesis chapter 3. And even there, God promises that one will come from the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And so we, we get this hostility and we see it. We see it there. He wants to devour the child. We, we can even see that after Jesus is born. What does Herod want to do? Who's behind that? Even to the point where Herod slaughters, kills all those little infant and toddler boys to wipe out, devour this one who was to be born. Then we see as the evil one comes against Jesus and temptations and various ways to trick him and to do him in and to, 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 um, to destroy his credibility among the people and the crucifixion and all that. So, so we see this, this battle. Uh, and, uh, but she does give birth to this one is to rule the nations. The psalmist speak of him like that with a rod of iron. And, and then just very quickly, we have the victory of Christ. But he was, he was caught up to God into his throne. So that includes the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and all of that. Um, and he's caught up to the throne. And then the woman, people of God, fled into the wilderness where we, she was prepared a place by God. Now, the wilderness, you know, is always that place. And we think first, I don't know, at least I do, of the wilderness wanderings of the, the, the Israelites as they left Egypt. And, and that was a time of testing in preparation to enter in to the land of promise. So this woman goes off for this particular period of time and she's nourished just like the Israelites were nourished with the manna and all of that. They were kept by God for this time period, 1260 days. And, and then we, we see it again. We have another vision. That's what happens if you read through the book of Revelation. You have these 
different visions. They cover the same period of time, generally, sometime between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, uh, but different slants, different looks. So, so now we get the same time period, same situation, and we get another picture in heaven when Christ was crucified and rose and ascended. There was this war in heaven, and, and Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon, and the dragon fought back, but he was defeated, and, and, and then the dragon was thrown out of heaven to earth, he could no longer accuse us. Remember Satan in the story of Job? That disturbing <laughs> that Satan talks to God and God talks to Satan about Job and the heavenly place. Well, well, now that Jesus has risen, you see, and he's enthroned, what's he doing? The scripture said he's defending us, he's interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He lives. To intercede for us. He defends us. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can accuse us if Christ is the one who's defending us, you see? And so the accusations don't fly at all in heaven. Because Christ is there. And so he's thrown to the earth. That's the picture that we have here. Verse 9, just make sure we understand. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, thrown down a earth with his angels, were thrown down with him. And then, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so so we get the picture. We get the picture. So what are we going to do? How are we going to defend ourselves, if you will, against him? Well, notice verse 11. We'll unpack this in a minute. It says, And they conquered um, him... Satan, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And then when the dragon uh, saw that, the, that, the, um, that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child, but the woman was given two wings, just like uh, the Israelites are carried on the wings of eagles, as the psalmists say. Um, two wings of the great eagle so she might fly into this, fly from the servant into the wilderness to the place where she's to be, to be nourished for a time, times and half a time. Well, the serpent then, here's the picture, uh, poured water out like a river, uh, like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman. The earth opened up and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. But then verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman the people of God, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Who's that? On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Us. All right? Don't get bogged down in all the... Get the picture. That's the picture. And so that's what Paul is laying out for us. That's a backstory of what Paul's laying out for us in Ephesians chapter 6. So listen, Christ has come and Christ has conquered. He really had. This is a defeated foe. But in the wisdom of God, he's cast him to the earth. And this now for us, because of his presence, a time of testing and preparation for us to go into eternity. But here he is. Now, we needn't fear him in the sense that God will use him in our lives to bless us, ultimately. To glorify himself, to bless his people. And he says, I want you to stand against him. This will be for your good. I want you to stand. But understand, 
that he has power and he has a measure of authority. He's not sovereign. But he's roaming around, as Peter tells, tells us, like a lion roaring to devour. And so here, here he comes. So Paul's saying, I want, you to, I want you to know this. I want you to know this is really, really true. And so I want you to stand. Well, notice how John sees it, how John describes it in the Revelation. He says, um, and they conquered him, verse 11. And they conquered him. Now, what's it mean to conquer him? Well, he means the same thing that Paul is saying when he says to stand. He doesn't mean that we'll conquer him in the sense that he'll go away forever. It doesn't mean to conquer him to say that he'll never harass us and again. Once we conquer him, we're done with him. It doesn't mean that he's destroyed. He will be destroyed eventually, but, but, but not now. This conquering or overcoming him, defeating him, is to stand. That is to not give ground. To stand, that is to, to, to maintain the spiritual blessings that are ours and to enjoy them. You see, ultimately, he can't take away the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus because Christ has saved us, therefore we will be. But, but, so we need more there. But, but what he seems to be able to do in our lives if we don't stand is to take away our enjoyment of these blessings, our practice of these blessings. And, and, and he said, no, no, don't let him do that. Stand. These are yours in Christ. So... Stand. How do we stand? How do we overcome him? Well, he says, first, by the blood of the lamb, which is a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. That's, a, that's one of those phrases that if you put it at the top of your page some morning and says, I'm going to think and meditate on the blood of Christ. I hope you don't have any plans for the rest of the life of time. Because you can just sit and you can think that through. Because it, it means everything that, that Christ has, all the countless blessings that we have because Christ died for us. That's the gospel. Christ died for us. And, 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 and this, he shed his blood for us. And so when he did, he conquered the evil. When he conquered sin and death, he conquered sin in the sense that he took its penalty and power so that we might live, you see, be forgiven, so that we can receive these spiritual blessings of being holy and blameless in his sight and being forgiven and being adopted and all of that. The, the blood of Christ. So, so in a sense... Uh, John is seeing precisely what Paul is laying out in this armor of God. He says, you're going to be strengthened with God's might to take up the whole armor of God, first and foremost, the belt of truth. You need to take up the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Trust me, rely upon me. You see, he says, this is really true. I really did die. And when I died, I died in such a way for you uh, so that you could live. So to take up the belt of truth, you see, the blood of the lamb. And that truth, you see, is to work in you. To transform your life so you can be imitators of God. So you can live out the life that he calls you to. So you'll be safe. Safe from this evil one. Think of the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, right? That if we're going to stand in the presence of God, we must be righteous. Well, how can that be only if, if Christ perfection his righteousness is 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 given to us counted to us credited to us we're clothed in it and so that that's why that question from the heidelberg catechism that 
centuries-old catechism, how we made right with God. Well, it's because of Christ and his righteousness. As, as if I'd never sinned. As if I'd always obeyed. You think about that. You think about that. And, and so that's our righteousness. And, and not only that, but, but this righteousness that we're clothed with works in us so that we can live this life out and thus be blessed by following after, after Christ. And then, and then our feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, this gospel of peace. I have peace with God. That's the gospel. You know, the, the, the Christ has died for me. Therefore, I'm reconciled to God. The, the case against me, which was a real case because of my sin, I was really under the judgment of God, has now been uh, been now vanished in heaven. I've been pardoned. There's no case against us there any longer. And and so that's the gospel of peace, peace with God, and and peace even in the life in my life as I live it out in the context of of the people of God. That that kind of peace. And so so he says, take up the blood of the Lamb, and all that means. But not only that, he says, they defeated him by the word of their, of their testimony. First, this, this word, this testimony, this witness. So, so the question for you, what is that? What's your, what's your testimony? What's the word of your testimony? Of what are you a witness concerning Christ? Is this really true for you? Do you really believe this? Is your testimony, is your witness that Christ really has died, and not only just died, but, but, but died for you, that you really know that. You remember, it was Martin Luther, I think, who said that the Christianity is a religion of personal pronouns. You know, we can, we can talk about it in all its generalities, but, but really boils down to, but must come to me. Do I really, is that my testimony? Is that, is that what I stand on? Is, is that my witness? The word, he says, of their testimony. Ah, yes. The gospel. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Am I willing, as one of our dear friends often said, to preach the gospel to ourselves every day? Is that my testimony? Do I hear that gospel? And I go, yeah, that's true. And then am I ready to, 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 to stand up for that? Am I ready to share it uh, with others? Am I ready to share this truth uh, with, with, with others? And, and you see, that's what really ultimately then defeats the evil one, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others, because Satan hates the gospel. Because he knows that it is indeed the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And so as this gospel goes out, we, we're penetrating the darkness with it, you see. Sometimes people say all these, all, these, all these pieces of armor except for the sword of the spirit of defensive. No, 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 no. There we stand. But, but you know, as we, as we are ready to share the gospel of peace, uh, that's offensive in a number of ways. It's a moving forward, but it's very offensive to the evil one. It's this this gospel that we share. And I think what irks the evil one most of all is that, frankly, very often, believers are more effective sharing the gospel 
after he's come to get come against us in suffering or persecution. And that really irks him because because he wants to bring these bad things into our lives, if you will, in order to cause us to turn away from the Lord. But what actually happens in the life of believers very often is that we turn to the Lord, like Paul in the thorn in the flesh that he had. What happened? Well, well, he turned to the Lord to receive strength. And then he was able to share that in the whole context of the gospel. Um, what was the old line of, was it Tertullian that, early church father that the um, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Right? What happened in the book of Acts? You read through it. When persecution came, what did the people did? Well, they scattered. And what did they do after they scattered? Well, they told people why they scattered. And they told people about Jesus. You see this, 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 this testimony of their word. And, and, and even Peter writes to us like this in First Peter in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them. Don't, don't be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. He's saying, listen, even if you're suffering for doing what is right... When people ask you, how can you have any hope at this moment in time? Because they're going to look at you and they're going to think your situation is hopeless. And yet they're going to look at your life and they're going to say, but you seem hopeful. What happens next? Well, you tell them about Christ. And the evil one goes, rats. I thought I had him. I thought I had her. But I guess I didn't. Look at this. It's spreading. I've been foiled again, you see. And and, and what's fascinating is that when we share this gospel of peace, you see, we share it in a particular way. We share it in a way that's consistent with the gospel of peace. By that I mean the gospel of peace, this gospel has worked in us in such a way that when we share it, we share it not only with our lips, but as the old prayer book puts it, but also with our lives. Notice how Peter puts it here. He says, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, you see. He's saying, listen, you're, you should live your life in such a way that's consistent with this gospel of peace, right? Uh, uh, Paul writes about a similar thing when he writes to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy, about, about sharing his faith as well uh, to those who are against him. In verse 24 of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, verse 24, um, well, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know, that they will breed quarrels. So verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do uh, his will. He says, he says we must, when, we, when we share this gospel, we must do it in a way that's consistent with the gospel. In other words, you can't share the gospel of peace unless you're a person of peace. 
How can you share a gospel of forgiveness if you're not a forgiving person? How can you share a gospel of mercy if you're not a merciful person, right? How can you share a gospel of, 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 of welcoming sinners if you're not a welcoming person? How can you share a gospel of truth if you're not a truthful person? How can you share a gospel of kindness? It's the kindness of God. We read so often. How can we share a gospel of kindness if we're not kind people? And so, you see, this gospel of peace not only brings us peace with God and others, but it, it works in us in such a way that transforms our lives so that when we share it, we defeat the enemy on various fronts. On various fronts. He can't come against us. And yet, we're able to preach the gospel. And as people believe, he's... He's thwarted. So this testimony, you see, uh, is important for us, this, this, this word of their testimony. So uh, we can go back to Paul again in, in Ephesians 6 and realize that what he's saying with his testimony is about the gospel, but it's also the shield of faith, uh, uh, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Verse 16, in all circumstances, meaning in addition to all of these or... Uh, with all of these, you also need the shield of faith. We also must believe. We also must believe this truth. It's an active belief, share, uh, trusting in the Lord. The helmet of salvation uh, to cover our minds, not just to know that we're saved, yes, but to really hold fast to the hope uh, that we have. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he talks about uh, the helmet. And he, he refers to it like this. This is First Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse, um, verse 6, he says, or verse 8, he says, But we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for, the, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. No matter what happens to us, we know what's to come. That's what we're looking at. And then he says, take up the um, uh, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so you, you see how all these things are running together, really. It's different images of them. We have truth and the word of God. We have righteousness and truth and the word of God. We have righteousness and faith. We have faith taking up the word of God. We have, we have faith hoping in the salvation that is ours. So how do we, how do we lay all, all of that out? Well, just the shield we'll concentrate on and apply the others with it, I trust. But the shield that, that Paul talks about, shield of faith. Now, we know what he means. When he talks about a shield with the Roman soldier, he's talking about the big shield, the one that's probably, oh, four and a half um, feet uh, high and a couple to two and a half feet wide. It pretty much, if he scrouches down a little bit, if you're my size, you don't have to scrouch down that much. Uh, uh, you scrouch down a little bit and it covers your whole body, right? And in fact, if you're in a, with a whole bunch, then if all of you kind of get close together and you put your shields up, you're pretty much a wall right there. And so uh, for protection, so you can stand, if you will, stand your ground. And these, these, these shields could be, could be somewhat thick and, 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 and they could be coated with leather, sometimes um, doused with water. Because one of, the, one of the weapons of the enemy was to take darts or arrows and dip them in pitch, light them, and, and shoot them at you. 
which adds insult to injury, right? I mean, you have a fiery dart, a fiery arrow uh, coming at you. And so if you have one of these shields, you can put it up and if it hits that, then it puts out the flame and catches the dart. So you're safe. So, so that's the image here. And he said, that's what our faith is. Our faith is that shield. Because he says, listen, the evil one will come and shoot darts at you. Fiery darts. And when you hear the word fiery dart, you should go, ouch. And you should realize such a thing could be the most painful thing you've ever experienced in all of your life. And that's the sense of it. That's what he's firing at us, these, 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 these darts. And it's our faith that is our shield. Peter puts it like this in First Peter in chapter uh, 5. Uh, he says to us, says to us um, in verse 8 concerning, verse 7, verse 8, be sober-minded, be be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Our faith is a shield. We must be firm in it. We must believe, else the evil one's fiery darts will find their mark, their place in us. Uh, Charles Hodge, 19th century Princeton theologian, and writing about this particular passage, these fiery darts, puts it like this. He said, As burning arrows, not only pierced, but set on fire what they pierced, they were doubly dangerous. They serve here, therefore, as a symbol of the fierce onsets of Satan. He showers arrows of fire on the soul of the believer who, if unprotected by the shield of faith, would soon perish. It's a common experience of the people of God that at times horrible thoughts, see if you resonate with any of these. Sometimes people come to me and say, Bill, what are the fiery darts that the evil one uses? And normally I say something snarky like, I think you know. Because I think you know you, and I think he knows you. And so I think if you spend a little while thinking about it, you'll know the fiery darts that he shoots at you. I know the fiery darts that he shoots at me. At least I think I know at least some of the fiery darts he shoots at me. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Well, maybe I will. But, you, you, so, so Hodge is kind of being a theologian, giving us some generalities. It's, it's a common experience of the people of God that at times horrible thoughts, unholy, blasphemous, skeptical, malignant thoughts crowd upon the mind, which cannot be accounted for on any ordinary law of mental action, but which can't be dislodged. They stick like burning arrows and fill the soul with agony. Are they doubts? Are they fears? Are they anxieties? Are they questions? Does God really love me? Are they questions? Could God really forgive that? Are they thoughts about others? Critical thoughts about others? Thoughts about others that are slanderous thoughts that Put you at odds with others? Are they those kinds of thoughts? Even one loves to disturb the peace of his 
God's people? What are they? And all of those, and all of those things, you see. And then he says, they can only be quenched by faith, by calling on Christ for help. These, however, are not the only kind of fiery darts, nor are they the most dangerous. You go, hmm, thought maybe they were. He says, there are others which enkindle passion, unholy passion, inflame ambition, unholy ambition, excite greed for gain, excite pride in us, discontent, vanity. And here's an expression that is always struck with me. Producing a flame which our deceitful heart is not so prompt to extinguish. Ah, those are the real fiery darts, aren't they? Those are the ones that come to us and we like them. They're unholy, but we like them. Whether they're slanderous thoughts about others that make us feel better, whether they're thoughts of greed and materialism which rationalize our views, whether they're lustful thoughts, whether they're thoughts that pardon our sin without us having to repent of our sin. You see? You know what they are. I trust in your own life as they come. And he says, we don't like to extinguish those. We like to play with those. We like to think those thoughts are true. So those are the dangerous ones. Um, and he says, so uh, these produce a flame which our deceitful heart is not so prompt to extinguish and with which uh, it is often allowed to burn until it produces a great injury and even destruction. And these most dangerous weapons of the evil one against them is only the protection of faith. See, Faith is a shield. When they come to us, where are we to go? We're to go to God. That's the essence of faith, you see. The essence of faith is turning away from self-trust, turning away from trust in anything, anyone else, and, and going to God. That's the word of our testimony. That's our faith. That's the shield of faith. We're saying, we're holding. No, 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 no. This is what is really true. This is what I'm a witness of concerning Christ. And so this is what's really true in the context of our life. Faith always has an object here. The object of our faith is Christ and Christ alone. The object of our faith is the truth of his word. That's what we're going to hold to. That's what we believe in. That's the only thing that will extinguish these fiery darts. The truth of God. And thus we must work this truth in us. Remember what Paul writes in where? Second Corinthians chapter one. He says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. What does he mean by that? He says, because of Christ, everything that God has promised us is really true. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know that by faith. You trust Christ. You trust in him and you look at what he has done and who he is and, and the spirit works in such a way that enables you to say, yes, that's really true. So he says, yes, cling to that. So when difficult times come, he says, you are to uh, turn to Christ. You remember that even in the old covenant, um, God was a shield to Abraham. In Genesis 15, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And the shield worked for uh, Abraham as faith, you remember, God made this outlandish promise to this old man, Abraham, that he would have a son. And, and, and he believed him. And so you get the sense that when any doubts came, he continued uh, to believe. Uh, Romans chapter 4, 
Verse 18 concerning these promises said, In hope Abraham believed against hope. What a wonderful expression. In hope he believed against hope. You know what he's meaning in that little expression, that idiom. In hope he, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's it, you see. You must be fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised. How do we become fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised? By meditating on his word, by putting on the belt of truth, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by shining our feet with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, by understanding the hope of our salvation, by taking up the word of God, the sword of the spirit. All of these things that builds up our faith. And then as James says, we need to apply them, not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That is, this word needs to make its, its way through us in, in, in our character, form in us the very character of Christ that we would be compassionate as he is compassionate, kind as he is kind, merciful as he is forgiving as he is forgiving, loving as he is loving, just as he is just. See, all of those things, truthful as he is truthful, all those things of Christ to work in us, you see. And to grab a hold and to, and to trust really uh, in him. Just very quickly, we see how this works out in the lives of psalmists in Psalm number three. This might give you some handles for your own life. In Psalm number three, uh, David uh, writes this, O oh Lord, how many of my foes, many are rising against me. Many are a saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. That's, 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 one, that's one of the big fiery darts of the evil one. He breaks that down into a lot of different categories at times. But, 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 but that's sort of the overriding one that he, he shoots at us. And he tells us as believers in Jesus, no, no, there's no salvation for you. Look at your life, right? How does David deal with that? Uh, verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy, holy hill. He says, so I went to the Lord. That's where I went. I went, I went to the Lord. I didn't go into myself and say, well, I guess not. Look at me. No, no. I went to the Lord. And when I went to the Lord, I, I, knew, I knew the truth. I knew his righteousness. I knew peace from him. I knew the hope of my salvation. I knew the truth of the word of God. And then notice, verse 5, I lay down and sleep. I always love those passages. Because when you lay down and sleep, it means you're not worried about it. And I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I won't be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me. And then he tells his soul, arise, O Lord. He tells the Lord, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And then his testimony, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing will be on the people, on your people. I'm one of your people. Salvation is really mine, you see. Then Psalm 18, just a couple of these. Similar passage, David is, uh, has enemies who are against him. Um, 
And so what's he do? Well, verse 2, he recognizes. Verse 1, he recognizes that God is his strength. In verse 2, he recognizes that God is his shield. In verse 3, so he calls upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. And he said, I am saved by my enemies. In verse 6, he says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Uh, to my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached, reached his ears. And then verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And then Proverbs 30, different book. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. This is, a, uh, this is what I call an index card verse. I don't know how people do it these days, put it on their phone, I guess. Uh, but in, in our day, we put on an index card, put it up on our bathroom mirror so we would see this every day i call that mirror christianity um but proverbs 30 verse 5 every word of god proves true he is a shield to those who take refuge in him do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar in other words believing that which isn't true so don't add to this but you can trust that every one of his words are true. And that's your shield, you see. You believe him. You trust him. So Paul says, listen, there's a war going on. You've got to be strong. You don't have the strength. But God does. So be strengthened in his might. So here's what you need to do to be strengthened in his might. You need to be put on the full armor of God. You need to know his truth, believe it, live it. You need to be clothed with his righteousness, allow it work in you. You need to have peace with God because you know the gospel. That needs to be your testimony. Uh, you need to have hope, the hope of salvation. And you need to know the word of God. Because you see, this word of God builds your faith. And your faith is your shield. He says, listen, don't worry about this that much. God's got this. Trust him. Walk with him. Oh, these things are going to happen to you. The darts are going to come. In various and sundry kinds of ways. In weak moments, at weak points. Stand. And the strength that God provides trust him. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, pray for all of us that uh, this would be true of us, that we would be people of your word, people of your truth, the very people of Christ, that he and he alone would be our, our salvation. And we would trust and trust in him alone. So Father, be with us. Be with us as your people work your truth in us. Work your righteousness in us. Work your word in us. Transform us. That we may be people who know the spiritual blessings that are ours. That we may love the spiritual blessings that are ours. And we may walk in them. I pray this for us all. Many on this day might be plagued with very difficult circumstances. Give them faith 
as their shield against discouragement and despair. Many might be faced with good things happening, but give them faith that they might know to turn and give you thanks. Not be prideful. There may be those struggling with particular sins, I pray. That you may grant them your word in such a way that they may cling to it. And they may flee to you, Lord Jesus, and trust in you, and that you would be their shield and their protector and their help. Some may be facing even death itself. And I pray that they still in this moment, the psalmist calls the valley of the shadow of death, that they won't be afraid because they'll know that you are with them. So give them faith to know that you're with them, that whatever, whatever they encounter, even, even in that moment, that you will be with them. You will comfort them. You will keep them. Father, for us as a church, we pray that the gospel of peace would be upon our lives and lips. And that you would bless that testimony. And just like those who've gone before us, that we would value your word, your gospel, all the blessings that we have in you. We would value you more than anything else, even our own lives that we would not love our lives even unto death. And this I pray in Jesus' name.